This is truly an honor to be here this evening and to be uh, bringing God's word to this wonderful congregation. Uh, thank you for the privilege of uh, preaching this evening. If you need sunglasses, if my head's too bright, go ahead and put those on. Uh, tonight we're going to be looking at uh, a passage that's familiar to many of you. It's from the Gospel of John. It's chapter 15. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 17. And it's the topic, thinking about loving the way that Jesus uh, loved you. Just as Jesus loved you kind of love. So I'll be looking at one verse in particular and then making application that comes from uh, the Word of God but then directed to perhaps someone that's the forgotten one another in our congregation, and that is our pastor. Now, for those of you who may not know, Pastor Joe preached at uh, FICF here about a month or so ago and brought, I'm sorry, at, at Crosspoint, sorry. I'm getting my churches mixed up. I was in Hawthorne today, <laughs> this morning. Preached at, at their church in Hawthorne, Nevada, and then drove back. So I'm, this is my second sermon today, so forgive me. So Pastor Joe preached uh, for Crosspoint a few weeks back. And uh, he brought a wonderful message that it was encouraging to remind the congregation how a congregation can love a pastor. So I'm returning that favor tonight as one who's now not, not only a pastor, but going from church to church and helping encourage the churches. So that's my new role as the area missionary for our association, is being able to go to different churches, encouraging the pastors, encouraging the congregations and bringing uh, God's word and, and just stepping in where needed. So it really is an honor to be here tonight. And I love the worship. I hope that you guys uh, enjoyed that as much as I did. It was wonderful to see the slides and to think about the way that we were singing the Lord bless you and keep you. And did you notice the background? It was the Milky Way. And do you remember the promise that God gave to Abram? He said, you will be the father of so many children. He said, Abraham, look up into the sky. Look up. And that's how many children you will have. If you can count the stars, that's the number of children. And look, here are some of those children here tonight. The children of God, his church. Praise God for God's promises Amen. to us. Where would we be without the promises of God? And where would we be without the word of God? We have tonight before us an incredible passage of God's word. We are in that upper room discourse. Jesus is giving his life to these disciples. He's pouring out his heart to these men and perhaps the women that are gathered there in that upper room. And he has already washed their feet. He's taken up a towel. He's been there for them. He's served them. He's told them, I want you to love one another. I want you to love one another. He says, I want you to love one another because that's how everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then Peter says, well, well, Lord, I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, no, you won't. Before this night's up, you'll deny that you knew me. Three times you'll say, I didn't know him. And then it's almost as if 
Jesus is looking at Peter because then in the next part of chapter 14, Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. And where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. What, what, how do we know the way? What did Jesus say? I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And then Philip, he says, well, show us the Father, Jesus, and that's enough. <laughs> and, and Jesus says, Philip, have I not been with you so long that, that you don't know who I am? I've shown you. The Father. I've lived out my life. I've done only what the Father has asked me. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. You know who He is because you know who I am. And so in these words, Jesus continues to remind these disciples of some very important things. And in this part, chapter 15, He's telling them, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in Him, He bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. So remain in me, remain, abide, rest in, dwell in me. And then we come up to this next part. This is the, the focal verse, the focal passage for this evening. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation. This is uh, verses 12 through 17 of John's Gospel, the Word of God. Jesus says, as he pours out his heart to them, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, that I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. Amen. Please join me as we pray. Father, we do ask that in these moments that we have, that we would, that we would take time to remember what you've shown us what your son has spoken to us, this clear directive, these clear instructions. Lord God, I am grateful for your word. I'm grateful, Jesus, that you did pour out your heart to those disciples and that we benefit from that, these words written down by John for us to remember and to obey Jesus, your commands. And so in these moments, I pray that you would give me the words to say from your word, that you would direct my preparation, that you would uh, give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Back in 1965, at the middle, middle point, or really kind of in the, the height of the Vietnam War, a song came out here in the United States, and it was... Uh, Written by Burt Bacharach, you may be familiar with uh, the lyrics. I won't uh, try to sing them right now, but 
uh, I will share the words, and it is what the world needs now is love and, you know, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. And, and some of those words were almost blasphemous in the way that they were kind of finger-pointing toward uh, the Lord said, Lord, now we don't need any more mountains, any more valleys, and Lord, you, you need to do this. And so it's almost like the singer or the songwriter is commanding God what he should be doing. But here we see that Jesus is giving a directive to his disciples. He's saying what you need, disciples, right now is love for everyone in this room. And can you picture the people in that room? Can you see? I mean, just look around this room. It's quite a proof. And we love each other, right? But we're going to grow in that love. We're going to keep growing. But in that room was a group of people that were still learning about what it meant to be together as Jesus' disciples, to love one another. There, there is Peter who said, Lord, I, I'll do even going to the cross, even going to death for you. I'll lay down my life for you. And, and he, we know he didn't. And, and then, then again, there's maybe James and John, the sons of thunder, bickering, arguing, the ones that said, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. Who's the greatest in God's kingdom? And arguing, and maybe even jabbing each other that only brothers can do back and forth at the table there in that room. And Jesus still loving them. And, and Jesus hearing these questions. And, and some of us, when we get a question back, we might give an eye roll. Have you ever done the eye roll? Like... You're kidding me. Have you ever done that? I've never, no, I've done that a lot of times. When someone asks a question that seems a little ridiculous, like Thomas, we, Lord, we don't know where you're going. Or Philip, show us the Father. Jesus' patient love in that moment and answering their questions and now pouring out his heart to show them, this is what I want from you. I want you to love. Now, in just a few moments here, I'm going to break down just this one verse, verse 12. And I hope that you can put that into your mind. And I'm hoping that you'll take that away as not only something to, as we read about, to file away and say, well, that was something nice to learn, but that you'll take it away and say, this is what I want to live out, out of the overflow of what God's doing through his word and how he's changing my heart. Look at that first part. This is my commandment. Now, this is... An exclusive command. Who's saying this? Jesus, right? Who is he? He's the Word made flesh. He's God himself. Jesus, who has all authority. Jesus, who created the universe, who made all those stars. Jesus, who at his baptism, the voice from heaven, the Father saying, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. So tonight... We need to listen. And I need to get some water. Just a second. My, my throat is parched. My lips are, are... Debbie knows this sign. She knows, oh man, he's, he's in trouble. When we were playing softball this summer, you know how hot it was this summer? She said that I was just looking like I didn't have any teeth left in my mouth. I don't know. So parched. Hold on a second. I don't want my facial expressions to be a distraction from the sermon. That would be a bad thing. So, an exclusive command. This is Jesus talking. He says, this is my command.
commandment. The second thing is it's expansive. He says that you love one another. Now, it's easy to do something once, right? You go to the doctor. You know that. And this week I've got a, an appointment to take my car into the mechanic. That's a one-time, hopefully one-time this week, occurrence. But when he says love one another, it's ongoing. It doesn't stop. It's a never-ending love. It's an ongoing. You keep loving. You keep on loving and keep on loving. It's expansive. It keeps growing. The third thing is, Jesus says, and this is where I want to focus for just a few minutes before I get to the application about how we can love our pastor. Jesus said, just as. And this is where it's really captivated my imagination. A just as Jesus kind of love. Well, how did he love? It's an excessive love. It doesn't make sense, does it? It's, as Merriam-Webster from the dictionary said, it's, uh, a love that exceeds what is usual, proper, necessary, or normal. Now, this summer we've had excessive heat advisories, excessive air quality advisories. It's beyond the norm, right? And here we have this love that we see from Jesus that is beyond what we can comprehend. But this is how Jesus has loved. Think about it. Over the course of time, Jesus has loved his disciples with a purposeful, joyful, holy, ongoing love that honors the Father. Jesus has shown them that his love teaches, spends time with, makes time for, confronts, comforts, heals, and restores. Jesus has loved them by serving them and by obeying his Father, by speaking the truth and by rejoicing in God's will. Jesus' love is perfect. We read this in Chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 of Jesus being God himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. We read on into verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So his love is perfect. Jesus' love is humble. Jesus' love invites. Rabbi, the disciples first were asking, where are you staying? What did he say? Come and see. So he's inviting that's the kind of love that Jesus was showing. His love reaches beyond racial and religious boundaries. Think of the conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, the Pharisee, the elite religious leader. And then think about the conversation that we read about in the next part, chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, where he's speaking with a Samaritan woman. So Jesus' love is that kind of love, and with each person both Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, Jesus is speaking with a truthful ease and compassion for both individuals. Jesus' love forgives the outcast sinner. We read this in chapter 8 of John's Gospel. You remember the story. It's the woman caught in adultery. Jesus wasn't pointing a finger. He's riding in the dirt with his finger, waiting for the accusers of this woman to leave. And then what does Jesus do? He restores her. He forgives her. He says, go and sin no more. So Jesus' love restores the outcast sinner, forgives the outcast sinner. Last night, 
our oldest granddaughter came and asked if, if I would read with her uh, before she went to bed. And I said, of course. It's a great delight for a grandparent to have a grandchild request time with. You know, it's like, oh, you know, you feel really special. They want to be with you, right? And so we were recalling something that happened just that evening where she was needing to um, ask forgiveness. She had been just a little naughty, and she hadn't done what her dad had asked. And I said, well, did you ask your dad? Did you say, I'm sorry? Did you say, forgive me? And, and she said, yes. And, and then I said, well, did you ask your Nana for forgiveness? Did you say, I'm sorry to her? Yes. And then I said, did you ask God to forgive you? And there, just right from the innocence and beautifulness of that moment, she said, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I said, he heard you, and he answers, yes. How do you know? I said, because God keeps his promises, and he's promised that he will forgive those who ask him. Think of 1 John 1, 9. Whoever confesses is seeing God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe right now you need to say, God, I'm sorry. I got mad today. I lost my cool. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. His love reaches to you and says, yes. Yes, I forgive. Will you do that? Maybe there's something else that you've been carrying in your heart even this this evening, as you've been here in worship, some ill toward another person, even in this room, and you need to say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And Jesus says, yes. That's the kind of love Jesus has. That kind of love. Jesus' love sets free those who believe in him. We see that in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. That we will be set free. The truth will be setting us free. Jesus' love gives abundant life. We know that the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. But Jesus comes to give life and give it abundantly. He wants to give you an abundant, joyful life right now. That's the kind of love he has. He's protecting us. Jesus gives love and Jesus receives love. And this is where I've been uh, kind of convicted over these last few days is that, that I'm really good about saying, well, here, let me help you. Let me help it out. Let me give this. Let me do this. But then when someone wants to do something for me, it's hard to receive that back. But notice how Jesus reacted when, when Mary came and broke open that perfume and started to anoint his feet. He didn't stop her. He said, she's doing a good thing. She's preparing me for my burial. And he received that love that she poured out literally at his feet, washing and, and anointing his feet with that, that perfume and that oil. Jesus received love. So if you have difficulty receiving love, then love like Jesus received. When someone says, I want to help you, let me come alongside you. Receive that from that individual. How did Jesus love his disciples? Jesus, or, or rather John writes, having loved his own who were in the world, we read this in chapter 13, verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the uttermost. It's the same word that we hear Jesus cry out on the cross. It is finished. The end. It's done. 
It's a love that goes to the very end. Some of us are really good about starting something, and then we don't quite finish it. You might have several projects around your house like that. Um, but the love that Jesus pours out goes to the very end. He says, I, I love you. And John says, they, he loved us to the very end. His love, and I love that we sang that tonight, his love never fails. His love never fails. Because he loves them, Jesus faithfully strengthens and encourages his disciples. He prays for them. Peter, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you that after you've gone through this testing that you will be restored. I've prayed for you, Peter. Jesus gives them his joy, his peace. How did Jesus love his disciples? Greater love. Notice verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. That's the kind of love Jesus shows. It's sacrificial love. It's laying down his life on behalf of and in the place of kind of love for his friends. Indeed, this is how we've come to know love. He laid down his life for us. And then we read in 1 John 3.16, we ought to lay down our lives, brothers and sisters, for one another. Do you know this love? And do you show this love? Beloved, let us love one another, for God is love. Let us keep on loving one another just as Jesus loved you. Therefore, when you don't see eye to eye with everyone in the room, and by the way, think any hot-button topic right now, when you don't see eye to eye with everyone in the room, keep on loving those people. Love each other. And I would reference Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14. And I'll be uh, quoting some of that through here in this section. When you have a hard time liking each other, bear with each other. When you have a hard time letting go of past wrongs, forgive each other. Whoever has to complain against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And then we read in the next part, I think it's verse 14 or 15 of Colossians 3, and beyond all these things or above all this, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. When the love of many grows cold, Matthew 24, 12, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. That's from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Beloved, let us keep on loving one another just as Jesus loved you. Therefore, make certain that you owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Romans 13.8, for you are called to freedom, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Galatians 5.13, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. 1 John 3.11, beloved, let us love one another. There you go, you got it. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 1 John 4, 11. By the way, if you need some encouragement on this one another kind of love, pick up 1 John. 
this week. Just 1 John, the letter. You can read through it out loud in about 18 minutes or 19 minutes. I tried it this week as an experiment. I picked it up because it's oozing with reminders about love, God's love, our love for each other, the way that we show that love, the way he's shown his love to us, love one another. Just another little uh, way to encourage and to help us dive deeper into the word of God. But I want to call our attention for just a little while to perhaps a forgotten one another. Now, I know that there are folks that we may have come into our congregations. And by the way, if you see someone sitting by himself or herself, go to that person. Don't let them stay by themselves. Go and say, hey, we're glad you're here. We, we're glad you're, you're able to be with us tonight. We're, we're glad that you were able to worship. Uh, make sure that, that someone has a touch from someone else before the evening's over. Don't let someone get out of here forgotten. But sometimes there's a forgotten person that's right in front of you. He's your pastor. <laughs> and I can say that because I've been a pastor for 20 years. And now I can say once again, hey, that's my pastor because Crosspoint has a new pastor. Praise God. And thank you for your prayers, praying for us to have a pastor. He's my pastor now. And I just want to give you a little uh, anecdotal uh, tidbit of, before I move on. This is a true story. This happened about three weeks ago. I came in and I said, Pastor Jared, I've got to tell you some things. And this is before the service. And I had all these things on my mind that I just unloaded on him. And I said, oops, I'm, I forgot. Yeah, how, how, how quickly I forgot that I was burdening him, perhaps, with all of this information that maybe he could have waited until after the service. You know, he's got a lot that he's rehearsing, the sermon, the, the people that he's trying to greet, everything's happening. How's that person? Why are they not here yet? What's going on with this family? Oh, I've been praying for this family. Praise God they're here. And all the things, the details. And I just burdened my pastor with all of these things. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't receptive. He was very jovial about that and joking. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. He says, yeah, it's okay. You're, you're, not the, you're, you're the first one today. There'll be more, you know, just kind of a joke. But I'm like, I should have waited. So I want to love very uh, conscientiously toward my pastor. And this is an encouragement for this congregation, because I know you guys do such a great job already, but we can always go a little bit further, right? We can grow in our way that we apply how we love our pastors. We read this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and lead you in the Lord and admonish you and to regard them very highly in love because of their work. So just a high regard. I know that we all have tough jobs, but, but I've been reading that uh, some of the statistics are showing that like 84% of pastors feel like they're on call 24-7. They, they just don't feel like there's ever a time where they're not on duty. And so I'm so grateful that Pastor Joe was able to have a little bit of time to be away. Because there's moments where you just need to recharge in a different setting. And he's not discouraging church attendance by not being here. He's just saying, this was important for me to be with my family tonight. And so I want you to, to honor and regard him. And, and this is some ways that, that we can help love 
our pastor. So the first is provide for his needs. And I know that you guys do that. You do such a wonderful job. First Timothy 5.17 uh, is one of those. And Acts 6.14, one of those ways that you can show that love, the way that the church was able to show love. And there was a division that arose and things that were going on and the feeding of widows and the focus that the, the disciples came to was we need to have someone who will help take care of the widows, so those who are needing this care. So they appointed some qualified men, deacons, to help serve those in the church. And the pastors were able then to focus on the word and on prayer. And I love how uh, much of this information is from several sources, and one of these sources is from Pastor Joe, and he, he noted about providing for your pastor for things that would distract him from prayer and the word, uh, you free him. So how you provide for your pastor says how you value the gospel. So provide for your pastor's needs. And in so many ways, there's so many examples of ways that you can do that. And uh, giving a salary, that's a really great thing. So thank you for doing that. And for honoring him in that way and his family. I, I read also that, that many families, pastors and uh, families are concerned about their financial needs. And this is just covering the, a broad spectrum of pastors that were interviewed this last year. Over 54% were considering, like, wow, I don't know if we can make ends meet. It's tough. Not many pastors left last year. They worked really hard even through COVID. But it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year for a lot of people. And so just ways to uh, encourage and provide for the pastor. Another way, uh, way number two, to love your pastor and to love like Christ would love is to obey him and submit to him. And this comes from Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with greed. For that would be unprofitable to you. Now, I started this little book. This is, if you just need more information tonight about how you can love your pastor, here's a great source. The book your pastor wishes you would read. <laughs> and it's really funny. He's got, I love this guy. I think he's British, and so that makes it funny already. He's got just a different way of thinking and some, some ideas, but how to keep watch and how we should do this. I wanted to note what Christopher Ash says about this verse right here, about how we need to obey and submit and what that means. It is what he says next that's so surprising. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no profit to you. Just look at those last two words. To you. I can see that making their work a joy will be good for them. And that if it is a burden, it will be tough for them. But for us, how so? Answer. Unless there is at least some whisper of joy in their hearts as they do their work, some spring of gladness in their step, they will never persevere to the end. And, and this is the point, it is we who will suffer. Instead of being well taught, faithfully preached to with insight and depth, instead of being patiently prayed for, instead of having our souls guarded from evil, instead of being lovingly equipped, instead of being well led in our churches, we will be harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd 
at the mercy of all kinds of destructive evil. And our churches will be places of shallow immaturity and instability at the mercy of every whim of cultural pressure or theological oddity. And, and I just want to offer this as a prayer. This is so amazing here at the end. He just lays through. And so let me just stop the sermon and pray once again. I'm reading Christopher Ashe's prayer. This is a wonderful prayer for our pastors and for us as church members. Father God, I do not know whether the work of watching over my soul is a joyful privilege or a heavy burden to my pastor. If I have made it a heavy burden by my hard-heartedness, my impenitence, my spiritual apathy, or my rebelliousness, I repent. Please change my heart and make me the kind of zealous, humble, shiningly Christ-like believer for whom to care is a great joy for Jesus' sake. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? And may God give all of us churches where people love their pastors and pray for. And I'll get to that. That's the, the obvious one. That's what I'm going to end with, pray for. But third, send him encouraging text messages, emails, letters, and cards. Tomorrow you should blow up his phone with text messages. Happy birthday, Pastor Joe. I love you. Just a quick message. It'll take you 10 seconds. Type it out. Pray about it. Carefully send what God puts on your heart and send it. Encouragement. Text messages. Emails. Letters. Ed Stesser and uh, his co-writer in an article. I've adapted some of these uh, suggestions. They're from several articles. Ed Stesser was one of these from 2019. He writes, I love receiving encouraging letters from people, especially from those in the churches I've pastored. Being approached after a sermon and hearing how the Lord convicted or encouraged people through the word is great. I love receiving texts too, but letters of encouragement, especially handwritten ones, are true treasures. I actually save them in a file labeled encouragement. What should you write? Thank your leaders for their time outside the typical nine to five workday. Share some scripture that may be encouraging to them. Tell them about how the Lord has been using their ministry to make you more like Jesus. Write about how you saw a friend come to Christ. Your pastors and church leaders will appreciate anything encouraging. I mean that. You know, it, it can take 15, 20, 30 words of, wow, great job, pastor. Thank you. And then one negative and you're like oh man and that's all you can think about you know how it is even as as a, a worker in your business where you might be at school praise 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 good job good job that was so lousy now sometimes we need to hear that if it's lousy we need to hear it and we love because we want to say you know you could have done better here but there's a way to say it <laughs> You pray about it, you preface and say, you know, I think we can make some improvement in these ways. The third way, or fourth way that you can love your pastor, serve in the church. Philippians 2, 19 through 22, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. 
so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Now here, Paul is giving Timothy as an example, he's given uh, Epaphroditus as an example, and then he's also especially given Jesus Christ as an example of service. And he goes from chapter 2 of that great uh, hymn of praise to God of the work of Christ and how Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by becoming a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in appearance like a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the kind of love, that's the kind of service that Jesus has shown us. The examples here that they give for service are as many as you can think of. Churches are always looking for more volunteers. It's true. Places to serve. Willing hands and warm hearts are so needed in the local church. And they write, especially when it comes to children's ministry or nursery help. How can you encourage your church leaders? Start by asking your church leaders, your pastor, where, where do we need help? Spend a couple of months serving as a greeter or working in, in the parking lot, greeting people there. Sign up to be a one who uh, helps with the cleanup duty. Volunteer to hold and pray for babies while their parents worship in the sanctuary. There's so many ways that you can serve. Fifth, speak well of the church. This is so important. Speak well of the church. Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is especially in our quick soundbite, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, whatever platform, TikTok, whatever that might be. I don't know. Uh, I, any, anything you can think of where you can just quickly get a message out there, sometimes we just don't think. And we say things that can be misconstrued, misinterpreted, and, or we just out and out just spew hate out there. It's just plain. It's hate. It's disparaging, discouraging. Stetzer writes, one of the most discouraging parts about being the people of God is hearing them talk bad about others in the church. Don't gossip about the bride of Christ. The body of Christ is a wounded body because it is made up of wounded people. Don't add salt to its wounds. Speak of the bride of Christ as you would like someone to speak of your spouse. October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Don't just give a card. Be an encourager all the time. And speak well of your church. That's how you can love your pastor. Six, encourage his family. Colossians 4, 7 through 9. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. 
I've talked about the toll that it can take on the pastor, but what about the pastor's family? Often they're the ones that feel that toll as well. Occupational ministry is a family affair, even if a pastor is the only family member working in the church late nights, working weekends, phone calls in the middle of the night, the demands of ministry affect more than just the one in that role. So encourage the families of your church leaders in much the same way you encourage your church leaders, your pastors, prayer, notes, and acts of kindness. And finally, a way that you can love your pastor, you can love as Christ loved the church, loved you, is to pray for your pastor. I would offer this. This is from an article by Ronnie Floyd Champion, your pastor, that was just out recently on sbc.net. The first call for prayer is this. Pray for the pastor and his wife in a prevailing way one Sunday evening in October. This is a suggestion. It's simply that, but it's something to consider and prayerfully uh, seek to uh, possibly apply here in the next few weeks. They say, or he says, rather, plan a focused prayer time in a worship service. Have the pastor and his wife come before the church for an intentional time of prayer for each of them. Give five to ten minutes for this prayer time. You could have the men come to pray for the pastor and the women to pray for the pastor's wife. You could have two to four more uh, people publicly call out to God in prayer while those gathered around them, as well as the church agree in prayer. Praying for the pastor and his wife demonstrates your faith in the Lord alone who will use them, anoint them, and empower them to serve with faithfulness. Pray for your pastor. Pray for protection. The enemy is a roaring lion. He seeks to devour. He seeks to bring down the pastor. And if he can't get to the pastor, he'll try to get to the pastor's family. Pray, pray, pray for protection. This is serious spiritual battle that we take before the Lord and say, Lord God, protect your servant. Protect the one that you've called. Protect the one that you've called to this body. Protect our pastor and his family. Pray for your pastor and his wife and his family. And then one other idea. Present the pastor with the special blessing of 31 members who will own one day a month in October, specifically praying for him and his ministry to the church. In the assigned day, whether it's day one or day 16, this is your day to focus your prayer upon him and his ministry to the church. Write him a note or send him a text asking him for three specific requests for himself, his family, and the church. Whatever his burdens are, you are there to pray for him. And this is the, the example that Ronnie Floyd gave. He said, this is one of the, the most beloved gifts I ever received. He said, one Sunday morning, he was in his office praying with a group of men when 31 other men came into his office. And they said, Pastor, we are here to pray for you and to promise for the next 31 days, each one of us is going to take a day. We're going to own that day to pray for you specifically. One day, each one of those men, and they had signed this commemorative letter. They had framed it, and each of their names was on that letter. He said, this is one of the greatest gifts that I've ever received. Friends, champion your pastor. 
Ronnie Boyd says, love him, honor him, respect him, pray for him, bless him. Do this daily throughout the year, not just in October, although it is Pastor Appreciation Month. And, and I know that in the past, you guys have always done a great job of recognizing and honoring uh, Pastor Julius and now Pastor Joe. You've, you've always stepped up as a church family, and, and that's so heartwarming to see that when a church loves on the pastor. So if there's any ways that, that maybe you can take it a little bit further and say, yeah, we could grow here, we could do this, we could, we could show love here, then, then do that for your pastor. And, and love each other. There are so many ways we could have taken this tonight of application. Husbands, Paul writes, love your wives. Love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The, the command is for the husbands to love the wives and the wives to respect their husbands. Love within the church. Refuse to gossip. If you hear it, just stop. Just say, stop. We need to stop this. Don't talk about the church like that. That's the bride of Christ. And whatever God puts on your heart is application. May he increase that, that growth and that desire, and may he receive the glory. I started this evening by talking about what the world needs now, right? What the world needs now is love. Well, I was saying what the world needs now is Jesus' love. No, not just for a few in the church, but for everyone in the church body to love. Remember that song came out in April of 1965. It harkens back, in my mind, to the April around the year 27 to 30 AD when Jesus showed us what love is. When he laid down his life. For his friends, when he laid down his life, when he received that scorn, when he took upon himself our sin, when he gave himself up for us, when he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's love. We should be in awe of that love. We should be amazed at Jesus' love. This week, slow down and let those words keep sinking deep down into your heart. What Jesus was saying as he poured out his heart to his disciples. This is my commandment. That you love one another just as I loved you. Let's pray. Father, we do love you so much and thank you for your love. We know love because of the love that you've shown us. We, we are able to express that love, Almighty God, because you've shown us your love. You called us to know you. We know you, Almighty God, through your Son, Jesus Christ. We say thank you for the love that you've poured into our lives, the overflow that we experience, your tremendous, inexhaustible love. I pray in this time of commitment, this time of invitation, that you would call forth those that you have been speaking to. God, we pray that you would call those that need to repent. We pray that you would call to obedience those who need to join this church family. We pray that you would call those who need to give their lives to you to receive you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord, to repent of their sin and to trust you fully. We pray, God, for decisions that, that you are laying upon hearts for mission, for, to show love to a world that needs to see love, to see in a different way what we have too many times shown such a, a poor example. 
God, forgive us. We pray that we would be people who live for your glory, who truly love one another, who love our spouse, love our children, our grandchildren, love and appreciate our pastor, pray for and encourage, build up, not tear down, forgive, not hold on to a grudge, slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to listen. God, give us the heart of Jesus. God, we need to be moved in that way. Our nation needs to see people living out that faith. May we be those people. Lord God, this city needs revival. We pray that we would be those people that, that you utilize in that way to revive and to restore and to bring hope into these broken places, into broken homes. God, we pray that marriages would be brought back together. We pray for healing from disease. Lord God, we pray that you would move in such a mighty way that, that we would only be able to say, God, thank you for what you have done. God, to you be all God, and I thank you for this wonderful, wonderful church. I thank you for their appreciation for you, for their devotion to you and to each other. And God, I pray that we continue to manifest that love through your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus.